Chapter Twenty Seven of Maybe Tomorrow by J. Little. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kurt Troutwine. Chapter Twenty Seven. Lynn Rogers sat back in the leather seat of the cream convertible and pushed his legs out in front of him. From time to time, he gazed at Gaylord with increasing admiration, not unmixed with awe. He had never heard of a boy who had never gone fishing and the consciousness that other things might exceed it in fun and opportunity opened new vistas to him moreover the thought that mr leclerc had never taken his son fishing puzzled him still neither had his father taken him he had always gone alone or with friends he wondered at gaylord's likes and dislikes and hoped his suggestion would not end in disaster after all he didn't know too much about gaylord he was certainly not well informed about his hobbies but now that the question had arisen he dismissed it easily with the certainty everything would work out only gaylord was so advantageously placed that he could choose or pick where he would go or what he would do would he have chosen this himself don't expect too much gay gaylord now well along on a strange road said he didn't that everything would be better than staying home or going to a movie the woods hasn't been cleared out rogers went on guess you'd rather have gone someplace else glenn rogers stop worrying about me i'm thrilled to death about going why today i'd rather be out in the woods fishing than any place i know he spoke reassuringly easing rogers fear as they rode along rogers pointed out familiar landmarks old man turner's water well where he said when they were pumping for the rice fields he had once gone swimming in that big house lived his widowed aunt she was his mother's only sister and had six kids no that field wasn't oats it was flax turn here gay gaylord obeyed and turned down a narrow dirt lane the air was warm and seemed to cheer him it was good to be out of the heavy traffic where you had to be so careful good to be able to drive at ease and watch the moving landscape he reached a wooden gate and stopped an immense chain circled it and a cedar post and he wondered how rogers would ever open it it was both fascinating and puzzling to him because as if by magic the gate swung open under rogers touch giving it a shove rogers drew back to let him pass rogers jumped back into the car said this is the farm now just follow the path until i tell you to turn turn it's rough not like you used to be but you can't get people to keep your place as good as you would i used to have it as smooth as glass except when it rained boy it's impossible i don't mind the bumps and i bet it is bad when it rains it's so black that's our house rogers pointed to a small wooden house with a porch which as gaylord first peered at it seemed to consist mostly of small brightly painted window frames though these were flanked on either side by white walls it wasn't an unattractive house and he was presently aware of the many blooming rose bushes around it he turned a questioning gaze on rogers who planted all those rose bushes mother said rogers whose natural orbit surrounded him including the spreading tree on the right side of the house they're sure in bloom we won't stop now rogers said good-naturedly but if you want some we can stop on the way back i don't want any they're too pretty to pick and by the time we got home they'd be dead thanks anyway glenn they passed the house stables and fenced in corrals over an open cattle guard and headed for a solid line of trees outlining the horizon in front of them there's jake cried rogers hi jake he waved his hand gaylord turned when rogers referred to jake 
he saw a brown-faced middle-aged man dressed in overalls sitting on top of a red tractor he waved without speaking and continued down the plowed rows as unobtrusively as he had approached jake and his wife farm for us they're not bad renters she dips snuff that's what mother doesn't like i don't see why anyone would want to use that nasty stuff i don't either but she does spits in a can and has a piece of stick in her mouth all the time roger's hand went in front of him see that big tree over there gaylord nodded pull up under it and your car will be in the shade you mean this is it this is it i don't see any creek rogers laughed and grinned it's just in the woods a little ways you'll see it he stopped under the tree's low branches and they both got out gaylord pulled at the moss that hung from them like beards from old men he remembered another woods of days past a woods and creek that ran through the oil fields he used to live in he remembered how they used to run hand in hand across the yards and then crawl under the barbed wire which protected the creek and woods from the cows which grazed among the yards safely inside he and past playmates used to play in the small creek they fished for minnows with bent pins for hooks and grasshoppers for bait all the memories of the creek running under the cluster of willows were so acutely happy that they forced a sudden longing to gaylord's eyes in those days he had been joyous with every sense of the body he had often thought since that that kind of happiness would never come again that it had been lost when they had moved away perhaps he had been wrong gaylord's eyes were brought back to the present by catching the glint of light on the box under roger's arm and now rogers looked at him and bade him follow these sandwiches sure are going to be good rogers grinned i hope so is the box heavy no it's not heavy come on gay the last outline of ploughed fields dropped behind them and with it the smell of dust and gave way to a fresh clean smell of things growing gaylord realized with little amazement that they were already in thick brush why they had only started and already the thickets lay behind them a squirrel dashed past and scampered up the beaten bark of an old tree gaylord startled walked closer to rogers walked on the thick mold beneath his feet the wet scent of decayed wood and loam came up into his nostrils like something new and undiscovered and each sound each step seemed to intensify the stillness the mystery of the place he saw a lizard sunning itself under a sunspot and somehow he was not scared or surprised when it scampered for new grounds he was thinking of snakes now and with the thought came a big splash of water this scared him panting and grabbing rogers he asked what was that just an old bullfrog rogers replied unconcerned then he remembered the tone of the voice turning around he said nothing to be scared of gay it scared me i was thinking of snakes there ain't no snakes here a little white lie wouldn't hurt i hope not i hate the slimy things he heard the sound of his feet trying to keep step with rogers how much further he asked not very far tired no just wondering hot sort of rogers wiped his brow he looked at gaylord saw no sweat and the thin shirt was not sticking to his slender body as his was then at last he announced we're almost there gaylord gave a deep sigh i'm glad these thickets are pretty rough after about ten yards they came to a clearing worn bare of berry thickets and grapevines the creek ran smooth and quiet sunbeams glimmered and flashed on its moving surface no rocks no rapids disturbed or darkened its cool color it mirrored only the image of arcing green
Gaylord liked what he saw and dreamily followed the flight of four dragonflies that skimmed the surface of the water under the arc of trees. He watched them until they vanished. The green world swam about him, blocking out the glaring outside world on all sides, and the high bending trees followed suit. Patches of sun shining like spotlights formed on the cool short grass and sand and clear water. Now and then the deafening silence was broken by the chirp of a bird, crickets, and occasionally the splash of a frog. Glenn, Gaylord said with an air of enchantment, this is beautiful, just beautiful. His boots sank in the soft sand, beige sand that continued in a gentle slope until it melted into the clear water. Memories, the greatest of arts, recreated for Gaylord scenes out of the past that must have taken place here. Scenes now in action, now in words, bits of dialogue, touched him deeply, remembering all the time that this was Glenn Rogers' paradise, or had been. And then Rogers made it more fascinating by saying he had found several Indian arrows. He had even found an old rusty hatchet. Gaylord could see their naked red skins plainly as he listened, could even see the teepees they lived in and the cruel tomahawks they scalped with. They must have been a carefree people, though, living all over America long before the pioneers came. He said, I saw some Indians in Oklahoma City. Of course, they don't look like they used to. I don't guess they do. Dad says there's lots of them in Arizona. Live on a reservation. I'd hate to live on one, wouldn't you? I sure would. Guess you'd have to get permission to do anything on a reservation, probably even to leave it. Gaylord grinned. If we lived on one, we couldn't go fishing, could we? That's right. We came here to fish, didn't we? Rogers got up from his squatting position. I've some poles and a seine over by that shed I built. He pointed to a small shelter almost hidden with brush. Three handmade poles lay against it and continued up the tree trunk. From inside the shelter, he drew a tarpaulin, unfolded it, and brought forth a seine. Damn, you're smart, Glenn, Gaylord said by his side. You want a nickel? Then he brought out a shovel. And if we can't catch any bait, we can go dig for some. There's lots of worms. With only their shorts on, they pulled the seine through the shallow water, and it wasn't long before they had a can full of minnows. Gaylord fell once, but he only laughed and pulled at the wet shorts sticking close to his body. Rogers baited one of the hooks and handed the pole to Gaylord. Then he baited one for himself. He heard an owl and hooted back at it. Then together they threw their lines. Bet ya I catch the first one, grinned Gaylord. You won't if you stay there. Better try over here. He didn't mind. After all, he didn't know anything about fishing, but Glenn did. They were silent after he had moved to the spot where Rogers had indicated. What kind of fish are in here? whispered Gaylord. Perch and catfish. I hope I catch a perch. I hope you do too, smiled Rogers. Let him catch one, he prayed. Let his hook go under real quick and let him pull out a perch. I've got one, Gaylord cried and pulled a small sand perch out of the water. I've got a fish. Damn, if you haven't. Want me to take him off for you? Yeah, but don't hurt him, giggled Gaylord seriously. Rogers laughed. He's already hurt. He's not so small, is he? He's not so big, grinned Rogers, holding the perch in his hands. He stretched out to Gaylord. Here, he grinned. Want him? No. Don't they stick? Feel. He fell to the flopping fish in Roger's hand and added, Isn't he pretty? Yeah, wish he was bigger. He's big enough. Bait my hook and I'll catch a Lulu this time. Okay, 
I'll spit on it for luck. They stood motionless for a long time, and the warm, fragrant air filled his lungs deeply. Gaylord wished for another bite, and Rogers helped, but the creek seemed vacant. He watched a bird fly skyward. It seemed so free, so happy. Now he remembered Blake, and with it came a confused emotion. He turned and looked at Rogers, leaning against the end of a tree stump. Glenn, he said slowly. Yeah? Let's go swimming. I was just going to ask you if you wanted to. I think you caught the only fish in here. He threw his pole on the sand. Come on, I'll beat you in. Rogers threw his shorts on the sand and ran naked for the water. He was not embarrassed here. This was his hideout from the outside world, the spot he loved best. There in the quiet running water under the trees whose roots reached down into the sandy soil and fixed themselves in the bank like a protecting hand, he had swum many times. Lying at their base, he had looked up into the sky and dreamed of being twenty-one and of all the things he would then be able to accomplish. Gaylord's eyes traveled over Roger's body. He felt that there was in Roger's a memory of Blake which expressed itself in the flesh, in Roger's skin, and in the eyes and hair, especially in the warm light of his eyes. The body reminded him of a graceful tree that had sprung up adventitiously from the chance dropping of a seed. To rid what he was feeling, Gaylord drew off his shorts and splashed through the water. For some reason or other, he wasn't ashamed for Rogers to see him naked. In the water, a few minutes later, Rogers swam over to the cliff and scampered onto a log that extended over the water. Rogers stood naked there on the end of the log, his hands on his hips, his eyes on Gaylord, and the dimples in his cheeks were very deep. Gaylord looked up at him and grinned. Well, he thought. You got your wish, Gaylord LeClaire. There's Glenn right before you, and he's as naked as a newborn babe. Gaylord watched and admired the developed naked body. He wondered what was going on behind the smiling eyes, wondered what was going through the handsome head. He wondered all this, and as he watched the muscles of the arms and legs expand with each movement, watched the sun play over the dripping hair and hips, Rogers stood grinning, his hands on his hips at him, and there was a playful twinkle in both their eyes. Well, Gaylord, he thought, you've got your wish. Take a good look. And he did exactly that. He started from the feet and ended at the grinning eyes, then went back over the naked oven brown skin, and the dripping water seemed to melt from its warmth. An undercurrent pulled at his feet, and he braced himself to meet it. The stillness lay around him, and the shadows made valleys between the brush ridges, deep and cool. Rogers broke the silence with a yell. Here I come. Below Gaylord, in the obscure depth, something moved and touched his leg. He uttered a scream of delight and with strong movements tried to swim away. A burst of bubbles burst before him and Rogers' head appeared close to his own. Boo! Rogers cried. Glenn laughed Gaylord. And a sudden warmth shot through him, unfeeling the other's hands around his waist. They clung together a second laughing and the warmth grew greater as their bodies touched. Gaylord's sides ached with pleasure under the other's strong hands, and he wanted to kiss the grin so close and yet so far away. Gaylord was afraid Rogers would read his eyes, and a strange new sense of shame, a hot flush, as though he had fever, swept through him. He pushed away the shoulders his hands had rested on. Then Rogers laughed. He laughed and drew Gaylord to him again. I didn't scare you, Gay, did I? he asked. Gaylord tried to laugh. Of course not. And while Rogers talked, Gaylord listened. 
frightened like a mouse in the paw of a cat. I sure didn't mean to. I'd never want to do that, Gay. Pensive, Gaylord listened to the pulse of silence and the water. The water alone endured the same. The log still lay at the limit of the land, and the creek ran on down its pathway to some unknown end, tracing a word of prophecy and recollection. But this was not a period for dreaming. It was a time of awakening to the fact that if he and Roger stayed in this embrace much longer, he would inevitably yield to the passion engulfing his being. This attraction was too strong to find easy or swift appeasement, and it was quite possible it might explode unless Rogers released him. He was thankful for the water, thankful it wasn't too clear, but Rogers could feel his tense body growing more so with each passing second. He couldn't hide from this. Then Gaylord Leclerc, that sober young man whose wet hair hung over his forehead and whose blue eyes were tense, would lie a long time in his lonely bed and wish it had never happened. And yet, to just kiss those lips so close to him would be so wonderful. But he shouldn't. It wouldn't be fair to Blake, but still the longing was there. And in the warm water, a shiver went through him. You're not cold, are you, Gay? No, Glenn, he answered. I'm not cold. Are you scared of water? No, silly. It's not the water. He broke away, and there welled up in him stronger than ever that he must get away. He was not going to do anything he might regret. He was going to be like normal boys, not like the ones he had seen in New Orleans. He looked back at Rogers and called out, I'll beat you to the other side. Better hurry then, screamed Rogers, and started swimming after Gaylord. Gaylord did reach the other side first, but as he tried to scale the clay bank bordering the water's edge, he slipped. Rogers' embrace was waiting. Gaylord stood so still that Rogers looked at him puzzled. Then he moved and put one hand on Rogers' shoulder. I slipped, he grinned. Thanks for catching me. His hand remained on the wet flesh. But you beat me. I didn't know you were such a good swimmer. There's lots of things you don't know about me, Glenn. Now why did he say that? Is there, grinned Rogers. And the way he said it, putting his hands around the other's waist, made the blood rush to Gaylord's head. There was a blast of sound, a splash of water behind him, and Gaylord tightened both hands around Roger's neck. Is that somebody? whispered Gaylord. Just another frog, Gay. Phew, guess you know I'm a baby, too. He let go of the shoulders. You're not. I'd be scared, too, in a strange place. But I don't think nothing could scare me here. Nothing? Nothing. Gaylord wished the hands around his waist would draw him close, but they just stayed there. For Gaylord, everything seemed to stop. He heard a bird's shrill cry in the tree overhead. It sounded to him like a cry of a male in search of a mate. He felt that old urge returning and dug his toes deep into the sandy bottom of the creek. Then, all of a sudden, for a quick second, his hands came up to Roger's face and he patted the wet cheeks. Then he broke away quickly and yelled, I'll race you back. And with a swift lunge, he was on his way. Glenn doesn't feel the way I do he thought, swimming through the water. He doesn't know. He probably thinks I'm a funny guy. They lay together on a bank of soft white sand, lay naked, and let the breeze blow over them. It was a little breeze, swishing through the tall trees, rustling the leaves of the creek bushes. There was a sound of frogs, and every now and then a quick splash of water, and there were wild roses blossoming around them. You could smell them in the breeze, they lay on their bellies and used their arms for a pillow. 
After a while, Gaylord raised his head from his arms and looked at Rogers, who grinned back at him. Gaylord said, It's good just to lay here. I feel so relaxed after swimming. He stretched his legs out full length and dug his toes into the sand. Gosh, the warm sand felt so good next to his naked body, so soft and warm. Rogers agreed and raised his head. He rested on his elbows. He was content here in his haven. There was nothing to worry about here. No fences to fix, no cows, no nothing. He picked up a twig and pulled it through the sand, drawing nothing, writing nothing. Gaylord raised on his elbows, too, and watched. Let's come back here again, Glenn, real soon. You just named the day. Next Sunday? He picked up a twig, too, and on the sand he wrote B-O-B. Then he wrote G-L-E. Suddenly he realized what he was doing and quickly scratched over it. He turned on his back and looked into the green trees overhead. To hide what he was feeling, he grabbed a handful of sand and let it run through his fingers. Rogers rolled on his side and faced Gaylord. Next Sunday's the date, then. He took a handful of sand and let it run through his fingers. I'm glad you like it out here. I just love it. He sighed deeply. Gosh, I wish we could come out here every day. I do, too. You want to fish some more? Gaylord looked into Roger's face. Do you? He asked softly. I ask you first. Oh, not particularly, unless you do. I don't care to. The soft brushes of the wind swayed the branches overhead, and small specks of light shone through the clusters of leaves and danced on their naked bodies. One so brown, one so fair. Rogers picked up a rock out of the sand and tossed it into the creek. Gay, whispered Rogers. Gaylord dared not open his eyes or speak. In this wild and somewhat fearful moment, he became tense and frightened. Frightened at the thought of what he would do if Rogers suddenly kissed him. Rogers had read the name he had written in the sand, and a funny look had come over his face. Had that started something? He could not answer for the sudden lump in his throat. Gay, Rogers repeated. He opened his eyes ever so slightly, breathed, Huh? He looked at the other's soft eyes and didn't care then. I'm hungry, aren't you? Let's have a sandwich. Rogers brushed at the sand on Gaylord's chest, tickled the flat bare stomach, Ouch, I'm ticklish, Gaylord cried. How about here? Rogers asked menacingly, digging into the other's ribs. Are you ticklish here? Yes, cried Gaylord, and he tried for Rogers' ribs. But Rogers was too fast. He laughed and sat on Gaylord's stomach. How about here? He reached for the armpits. Don't, Glenn, cried Gaylord. Okay, Rogers laughed. Let's have a sandwich. His hand came down and patted Gaylord on the thigh. You're not mad, are you? No, grinned Gaylord. I'm not mad. He watched Rogers get up and stand over him for a second. Watched him walk over and pick up his underwear. He's cute, he thought as the naked buttocks disappeared behind the shorts. He's real cute. He wasn't even thinking of me. He was thinking of something to eat. Just like a man. I'm glad he was, though. Maybe he was afraid to make the first move. He must have been thinking the same as me. Surely he felt the same emotions. I'm glad he didn't say anything. I'm glad he didn't. For Christ's sakes, Rogers cried. Look at these damn dance. Rogers held up a slice of bread and tried to brush off the thousands of insects covering it. All over everything. 
he said with disgust. Look, Gay, ants all over, all over our lunch. Gaylord got up and laughed heartily. Good ants, he said, pulling on his shorts over his legs. Guess they got hungry, too. Rogers gave him a puzzled look. You're not mad. What are we going to eat? Let's eat ants and all, he walked up to Rogers. Okay, here's the Lulu. Take a bite. Rogers held a ham sandwich close. Gaylord gulped as the black-moving ants almost touched his lips. No, no, he cried gleefully and knocked it out of Roger's extended hand. The bread landed on the sand. I'm not hungry. He watched Roger's battle with the sandwiches. He blew on them, hit them with his hands, grinning and talking all the time. It was unbelievable and yet, obviously, true. This friendly feeling which now swept through him bore no sexual passion. Unconsciously, he watched Roger's, watched the dimples grow deep as he was handed a sandwich. Sure there aren't any ants on it? He grinned. I don't see any. Do you? I think I got them all off. No, I don't see any, Gaylord said, taking it, and after a close examination, took a bite. Rogers did the same, said. Good, isn't it? Sure is, Gaylord answered, looking into Rogers' face. Between the developed legs for a split second, then back again into the dimpled face. I'm hungry, grinned Rogers. I always get hungry out here. I could eat a horse. He pulled on his shorts. I feel like I got ants in my pants. So do I, Gaylord grinned. Stop scratching, Glenn. Suddenly, he wasn't hungry for food. He was hungry for affection and wanting what he remembered. He had once said, I hate the world of men. They have hurt and killed something in me. I don't care for them that much. But now it wasn't that way. Rogers was a man, fully developed and very desirable. He sat there in the lurid evening, nibbling on his sandwich, thinking of Rogers' naked body. Also thinking of Robert Blake, who had not called. And he thought of other men. Paul Boudreaux, Jean Limbeau, Claude. What was Claude's last name? And as he sat there, he wound and unwound in his mind the skein of his life that was lived in New Orleans, a life that seemed rooted in the shadows of a club flowered in the room void of sunshine, living a brief while on the crammed sidewalks of a city and returning suddenly into darkness, the same web of darkness and blind hunger from which it had arisen. Gaylord's thought then dwelt on what Paul Boudreaux had told him, that possibility through shots, doctors, men, and women sexually attracted by their own sex might be rendered normal. But now, looking at Glenn Rogers, Gaylord knew that he had no wish to conform to a standard, alien to his nature. He thought of Robert Blake again. Blake was a wonderful person, a person so broad-minded in his way of life that trivial matters, and they were trivial, meant nothing to him. He understood and accepted them. He was a real man too, tall and broad-shouldered, with a strong handclasp, a man you could love and trust. He made you feel as though you had filled your lungs with a wind that was blown to you direct from the sea or from the heavens. Of all that, Paul had said, Gaylord liked best the idea that the shadow world might be one of nature's experiments. He saw nature as the great designer, the great creator, fashioning the earth and all that is therein, experimenting, revising, working with vast numbers. He remembered that Paul had said there were thousands of such men and women in the United States alone. 
thus the thought of shots or doctors which might present him with normality made no appeal to gaylord since he was part of a great experiment in creation and looking into roger's eyes he wished that they had kissed perhaps that climactic scene would have at last answered the confused drama in his heart but you weren't even thinking of me glenn he thought you were thinking of something to eat but i got my wish i've seen you naked End of chapter 27 Recording by Kurt Troutwine